You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. Y'all are a fired up Christmas crowd this morning. I love hearing I love hearing y'all sing. Good morning to you all. And Merry Christmas to everyone who is here and everyone watching online as well. Thanks for being here today. C.S. Lewis, of course, the... Uh, incomparable author in the series um, Chronicles of Narnia. The last book in that series, the sixth book in that series is called The Great Battle, uh, The Last Battle. And in that book, he says, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. This is what we were talking about this Christmas season. We are going through the first portion of the Gospel of Matthew to learn more about this one who is bigger than our world itself. It's Christmas season, and you know this. We get really busy. Some get really lonely. Some might be very overwhelmed this week or just unbelievably distracted. And when we're busy or we feel lonely, we feel isolated, we feel overwhelmed, we feel distracted, what happens is we miss the majesty, the power, and the hope of the one who is Christmas. We've been in a series called Hope Has a Name, and here's the title today. Hope Has a Name. It is Jesus, the King of the Kingdom. That is the name of hope, the name of the hope that we profess, the name of hope that we have found and that we celebrate, this living hope we just sang about. We celebrate this Christmas season. With your copy of God's Word, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew Let's go to chapter 1. So in your copy of God's Word, and I hope you have God's Word with you or have your smartphone, let's go to Matthew chapter 1 together. And we're going to start in verse 1. I know we were here last week, uh, this exact same passage. I've not gone crazy yet. I remember that we were here last week. But I want us to see today that Jesus comes from a line of, of kings. Matthew chapter 1 will be in verse 1. It will be in the Gospel of Matthew only today. So you can just have your Bible open the remainder of our time together. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy, in, in Greek, is the same word for the genesis, for the genesis, for the beginning of all things. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, namely Bathsheba, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now, I read for you just in 28 names, there are several more. 15 of those 28 were actually kings. With your Bible open, look here at verse 6. The first one we see mentioned is, is David. 
David ruled for 40 years from 1010 BC to 970 BC. Uh, Solomon, we see mentioned, the second king, verse six and verse seven. He ruled for 40 years also, just like his father. Then we see Rehoboam, Mentioned in verse 7, Rehoboam was the one who could not keep the kingdom together. This is when Israel and Judah split. Abijah, we see that mentioned in verse 7. The fifth king, Asaph, you might also know him in the Old Testament, of Asa, same person, verse 7 and verse 8. Who, ironically or interestingly enough, died of a severe foot disease. So keep those toenails clipped. Jehoshaphat, verse 8. Joram, verse 8. Uzziah, verse 8 and verse 9. Um, Actually, Uzziah became the king when he was 16 years old and ruled for 52 years. He was the first king where the Olympics, the Worldwide Olympics, were held underneath his kingship. The ninth one, Jotham in verse 9. Ahaz, verse 9, probably the most wicked king of them all. He sacrificed his own son by fire to the pagan god Moloch. He ruled for 16 years. Hezekiah, mentioned here in verse 9 and verse 10, considered honestly one of the most perfect kings, a godly king. Manasseh, verse 10, he took the throne at age 12. So moms and dads, if you remember when you had a 12-year-old son, or you have a 12-year-old son now, can you imagine him being the king of a kingdom? When mine was 12, I could not. I just wanted him to clean his room, much less rule over the known world. He ruled for 55 years, the longest of of all kings, and Manasseh was ungodly as well. The 13th king, Amos, um, you might also know the Old Testament of Amon. So this is not Amos the prophet, but King Amon. We see that in verse 10. He devoted himself fully to the service of false gods. Josiah, verse 10, verse 11, considered also to be one of the most perfect kings of all Judah. Killed in a battle actually by archers from King Necho and the Egyptians. Then Jeconiah, verse 11. Jeconiah ruled for only three months and 10 days before the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped out Israel, Judah, as it was known at that time. So that was the 15 kings, all in the lineage of the king of kings, Jesus. And all these kings were, were imperfect. I know I mentioned some of this last week, but you look at that list just of those 15 kings and you see an adulterer, murderers, kings who not only worshipped idols themselves but encouraged their nation to worship idols. They made unholy alliances with, with pagan nations. Many of these kings turned the nation against God. And of course that one king who sacrificed by fire his own son. Some very wicked men and the lineage, the heritage of Jesus, even the ones who, who were not wicked were imperfect. Which leads me to this statement this morning. Imperfect kings give us a longing for a perfect king. There, there's a long line in this genealogy here of some very imperfect people, some very imperfect men, some very imperfect kings. And what that does inside of us, it gives us a longing for a perfect king to come. We will inaugurate on January 21st an imperfect president who stands in a long line of imperfect presidents. Every leader we've ever had, whether in our nation or in our state or in our city or in this church, or every leader within your business have always been an imperfect leader. And we get really worked up, don't we, about imperfections in leaders. We gripe about it. We tweet about it. We get frustrated when our leaders don't do what we want them to do. Do you know what that is? 
It's a longing for a perfect king. It's a craving for a flawless leader, and only Jesus satisfies that craving. It's a longing for a perfect king, and only Jesus fulfills that longing. A close cousin to that thought is simply this. Imperfect kingdoms give us a longing for a perfect kingdom. Not only a longing for a perfect king, but even a longing for a perfect kingdom. So we can move past just a person and now think about our our culture, our society, our nation. Every day, whether you're from the United States or Nigeria or Ghana or Ecuador or China or Taiwan, every day we long for our nations to improve. We want our nation to clean itself up. We desire our nation to be a better place in which we can live. And so we grow frustrated. We grieve when we see our nation moving toward unrighteousness. We're frustrated. We grieve when we see that our nation is moving toward a culture that does not see life as sacred. We grieve. We grow frustrated when we see a nation moving toward injustice, toward inequality. Ultimately, you know what that is? It's a longing that all of us in this house have for a perfect kingdom. We see Jesus is the perfect king of the perfect kingdom. That the wise men knew that Jesus was the king. Now we've already read already through Matthew chapter 1. So let's move forward and go to Matthew chapter 2. And look at verse 1 with me. Very familiar part of the Christmas narrative. Some of you all probably read this on Friday morning this week. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king. Behold wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. And here's what they were saying. Where is he? Who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see the the wise men, whether it be two of them or 20 of them, we don't really know that there are three. We always just kind of assume there's three. It's easier for a nativity set balance perhaps. But we see here that we don't know exactly how many, but they weren't coming just to see him. This is not a political visit. This is not some mere curiosity. What does it say here in verse 2? We have come to worship him. We have come to bow down before him because we know that he is the king of an entire people group. What does it say in verse 2? We have come to see the king of the Jews. I'm not sure I've ever noticed this as many times as I've preached this before. This king was not going to be a king one day. I love what these wise men said. He was born king. He's not going to be the king. He has been born king. Matthew 2, verse 3. Let's pick it back up. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. So assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod was not troubled that there was a baby. He was troubled that the wise men were already calling him the king. And I think Herod was convinced himself because you see here in verse 4, he calls Jesus the Christ, the promised one, the, the anointed one from God, the one for whom the Jews have been waiting. Pick it up in verse 5. So they, meaning the, the chief priest and the scribes, verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. They're going to go back and pick up something Micah said. Verse 6, here's the prophecy. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people Israel. So the chief priest, the scribes here, remind King Herod about the prophecy of Micah, which was 700 years before. And look at the second portion of this prophecy. For from you shall come a ruler. Hebrew word, mashal, for ruler. It means one who who governs, one who has power, one who has authority, one who gains control. And then the prophet and the scribes remembering this is what the prophet said. Also, he will shepherd, normally a noun, here a verb. And this ruler, this one who has power, this one who will, who will have authority, who will gain control, he will shepherd, not a noun, but a verb. And the verb here is ra'ah. Will shepherd, it means will feed and will keep and will rule over my people. So here's why King Herod goes on this rampage, this this violent, out of his mind rampage. It's because a new power has come. There's a new king on the scene. You see, this is not about a cooing baby. baby. It's a coup d'etat. This isn't about a baby shower of gold and, and frankincense and myrrh that we'll see in a little bit. It's an overthrow. The leader of the subversive kingdom has arrived. God's revolutionary, armed with grace and truth, is now discovering he has fingers and toes. You have to understand that first before you understand the wicked, violent response of King Herod, beginning in verse 7. So when he hears this prophecy, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time that star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, of course lying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word that I too may come and worship him sarcastic after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and just as they said they would they fell down and worshipped him he's the king then opening their treasures that you would offer a king they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod the jealous king they departed to their own country by another way You see, Herod did not want the baby dead. He wanted his rival dead. He wasn't fearful of a little toddler. He was fearful of a king prophesied by God's prophet. So consider this. This might be Christmas in a sentence. Jesus is the promised king and came here to set up God's kingdom. This king has come from his heavenly throne, came here to earth, This king, this God of all the universes, now as God the Son, comes with skin on to set up God's kingdom, God the Father's kingdom. But before you go and put on war paint and go all Braveheart on me, listen to this. Who is in that kingdom? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, it's the pure in heart. It's the humble. It's the poor in spirit. It's those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's the peacemakers. It's the merciful. Today we we baptized Braylon, this this young man who was baptized earlier in our gathering. 
I want you to understand this. That wasn't just about baptism and water. It was Jesus setting up his kingdom. That's what was happening as we saw that baptism today. It wasn't a rite of passage. It wasn't a religious ritual. It wasn't even just a ritual, a religious experience. That was Jesus setting up God's kingdom. Last week when you brought hundreds of gifts for these 12 ministries and you blessed them with hundreds upon hundreds of gifts that they had requested, I want you to understand that was not just about gifts and encouraging some leaders. That was Jesus setting up his kingdom. And because you gave this year, Highland, over and beyond the budget, we wrote checks last week to all 12 of those ministries. Every one of those ministries got $3,000 each, plus we sent $3,000 to the Gideons and $3,000 to uh, Nightlife Christian Adoptions. And we sent uh, $3,000 to the Rick Haywood Feeding Ministry and Program down in Mexico. And we sent $3,000 uh, to Stone River for books and for Bibles. So last week, we wrote $48,000 of checks to all these ministries because you gave over and above the budget. But listen, it's not about trees or checks or gifts. That was all about Jesus setting up his father's kingdom. And his kingdom is at hand. This is what John the Baptist said on the very next page. Look at Matthew 3. We're just going to walk through this. Matthew chapter 3. Look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and listened to his short sermon. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he spoke, speaking of John the Baptist. There's going to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. That voice will say, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The kingdom, John says, is at hand. It is near it is imminent. There are rumblings. There, we're feeling the rumblings of this kingdom that's coming. The predicting prophecies now have feet. It is now real. He is now here. And then John gives us a few more details of this powerful king in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, look at verse 11. Listen, listen to these fiery words of John the Baptist as he is speaking about this king, this promised king who has come to set up God's kingdom. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, speaking of King Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is happening here in verse 11 and verse 12? Here it is. The king is coming to purify his people and to gather them up. In other words, this king is not messing around. He will clean house and he will clean his people. His own blood will purchase them. His own blood will purify them. And that which is not his will burn. The king is coming to claim his own. And to bring them into the father's family. And to bring them into the father's house. And then chapter 4, verse 17 Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this is the first public words of Jesus as recorded by Matthew. It's a short sermon. I, I know there is such thing as a short sermon. I know you don't hear them very often here on Highland on Sundays, but I'm not Jesus. So he just preaches a really nice short sermon right here. Verse 17, from that time, 
Jesus began to preach. Now let me help understand a little bit of, of the language here. When it says here from that time, it means from that time on. Like this was the sermon of Jesus, day in, day out, opportunity after opportunity. From that time on, if you will, Jesus began to preach. And here's his sermon saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn around, to stop walking one way and walk in the opposite direction and live in the opposite way. It means to change your mind on who God is. Repent means that we stop living for our small little lifeless kingdoms that have such an expiration date to it and turn to King Jesus and come into his kingdom. For of his kingdom, there will be no end. All governments... Rest upon the shoulders of this King Jesus. Who is the King of glory? It is the Lord Jesus, strong and mighty. And John sees him in Revelation chapter 9 and writes, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns. I tell you, he's the king. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen, white and pure, were following Jesus on those white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh is written these names. King of kings and Lord of lords. This king of the kingdom, Jesus, is the saving king, the gathering king, the promised king, the mighty king, the perfect king, the purifying king, the humble king, the inviting king, the merciful king, and you may want to stand up for these last seven. If you don't mind standing with me for these, please. He is the rightful king, the righteous king, the highest king, the exalted king, the reigning king, the eternal king, and you can count on this. He He is the coming king. Let earth receive this king.